0: All right, school is in session. So take your seats and turn up the volume. Volume. It's time
1: for the smartest fishing show on the internet. This is the show that dives into everything fishing from tactics and gear to policy and product. Here he is, the fishing professor, Professor Sid Dobrin. So stick around, you might learn something.
0: in the land of submarines. So we sailed onto the sun till we found a sea of green. And we live beneath the waves in our yellow submarine. Hey, welcome to the Inventive Fishing Fishing Professor Rodcast. I am Sid Dobrin coming to you from the Inventive Fishing inshore, offshore digital studio and broadcast all of the submarines and other ships at sea hey we've got a great show for you this week because we have jamie burnett of egret baits in the studio today jamie burnett is going to talk with us about some of the great lures that ken showmont and the rest of the crew at egret baits are turning out for inshore anglers and with those lures in mind i'll be counting down my top 10 spinner baits for targeting redfish I'll also be pouring from a bottle of Maker's Mark for this week's bourbon break. So why don't you pour yourself a few fingers or a few finger mullet and we'll do a little rod casting. Hey, speaking of mullet, did you know that there are more than 78 species of mullet and that in the Mediterranean they've been harvesting for mullet for food since before the Romans? Personally, I think it would be cool to have some smoked mullet dip with a side Caesar. Hey, be sure to subscribe to the Rodcast by clicking that subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to access the Rodcast, and be sure to share the Rodcast with all of your angling and drinking buddies. Keep in mind, too, that if you have a comment about the show, you can always email me at sid at or use the comment option on any of the platforms through which you have accessed the Rodcast if you have an opinion you'd like to deliver. Let's get casting! All right, we have got Jamie Burnett of Egret Baits in the inshore offshore digital studio today. Jamie's been with Egret Bates since 2004. She grew up on a lake in Oklahoma, but now resides in Texas where she's an avid crappie and bass angler and is incredibly knowledgeable about inshore fishing and inshore lures. Egret Bates, of course, is, a, is of course the parent company for Voodoo Baits, that incredible line of inshore lures that includes Lures like the Voodoo Shad, the Voodoo Shrimp, the Weedless Shrimp, the Voodoo Mullet, the Voodoo Vixen, the Mambo Mullet, and the Wedgetail Softbodies. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about those lures in just a second. I should note, too, that we've reviewed several of the Voodoo lures at Inventive Fishing. So you can check out those reviews at www.inventivefishing.com or on the Inventive Fishing YouTube channel. And I do have to say that our review of the voodoo mullet was one of our favorite to make, and we certainly had fun goofing around with that review, so you should check that out. But in any case, I am thrilled to have Jamie Burnett here, and we're going to talk voodoo lures and inshore fishing. Welcome to the rodcast, Jamie.
1: Thanks, Sid. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, love to have you here. So let's start off and talk about the voodoo shrimp for a minute, because this was one of those first lures developed in the voodoo line, and you released it, I believe, in 2012. So this is a lure that's been around for a decade now. And the voodoo shrimp has rapidly become one of the most popular shrimp imitators out there, which is a tough thing to do, given that there are literally hundreds of artificial shrimp patterns out there. I read somewhere that the voodoo shrimp was originally designed to be a trout-focused lure, but its success in attracting redfish to the bite really increased its popularity. I also read an article from a decade ago that said back then you were selling more than 50,000 voodoo shrimp every two weeks. That was 10 years ago, and I know that the voodoo shrimp have increased in popularity since then, so I can only imagine how many you're selling each week now. So, Jamie, talk to us about the popularity of the voodoo shrimp and what that's meant for Egret Bates.
1: You got it. Well, we were first on, on the market in 2012 when we introduced it. And at the time, we were marketing the Texas Gulf Coast. And we showed it. The three and a quarter inch were, was our original model. And we showed it to a few people. We put it on our website. And overnight, it exploded And I think the reason that it was so popular to start off with is because it's made with the TPE plastic, which is so durable and it's so lifelike and it did, you know, it's kind of like, you don't call it tissue, you call it a Kleenex. Everybody refers to, you know, we were first on and now there's been so many variations and so many knockoffs that have come along, but it's allowed us to expand and it was really fun to watch it go from... The Texas coast over into Mississippi, Louisiana, and all on up just to watch it grow and watch the fans and watch the production. Um, we did sell hundreds of thousands in the early years. And what we realized is we may have hurt ourselves because they were so durable, people weren't rebuying. You know, there weren't a lot of turns to go. So that's when we started expanding in colors and sizes.
0: So you mentioned that these were early uh, attempts or successes with TPE, and y'all at Egret refer to it as tough as hell TPE.
1: Could yes, you we did. And
0: so most, uh, a lot of soft bodies though are, are standard PVC or poly plastics, but you're using the the thermoelastomer, uh, plastics. Could you talk a little bit about what that means and what that did for this lure?
1: Absolutely. This is the way that it was explained to me years ago, and that's just my pat answer. You take ground up plastic, you melt it down, and you turn it into a fishing lure. It TPE is also made for tennis shoe soles. It's made for IV tubes. It is a tougher type of plastic, and the durability. I'm um, also we have a nylon weave in the tail of the voodoo shrimp, which makes it tough as hell as well. But the there was nothing else like that in the industry. It was cutting edge, no one else had ever seen it. Um, early on, we ran into some issues when uh, we didn't realize, and we made this very, very public, we didn't realize that if it got mixed with a traditional polyplastic in storage in a in a, a worm bag or a tackle box, that the gas that the polyplastic emits would melt the TPE. And um, so we had to really do some fast work with changing our our packaging. We put a warning on it. We were very open, very honest, and very clear about that. And I don't believe we lost any customers. Um, I very rarely have anyone that has any complaints now concerning that. It was just a learning curve.
0: I know there's a popular video that you all put out with Ken Shomont, uh the owner of Egret Bates, talking about storing egret baits and recommending using Plano boxes since they're worm proof and they don't interact with the TPAE plastics and melt those lures. Exactly. So um, you're kind of anticipating a lot of my questions about the specificities of this incredible shrimp. And you mentioned that um, that mesh that runs through the body. And I've seen it referred to both as a nylon mesh and as a Kevlar mesh. And I've also seen you talking about it and saying that that nylon makes the lure so strong that one pack can catch 50 or more fish.
1: That is correct. The nylon weave is a nylon weave. Years ago, whoever was an author of an article, and I don't even, uh, forgive me, I don't remember, quoted it as Kevlar. And that got spread around. We can't use the word Kevlar because it's trademarked. um, And we do not put Kevlar on any of our packaging. It is just a durable nylon weave as we refer to it. Um, We believe that the TPE is what makes the durability not just the nylon weave. It helps in the action of the lure and it does help to hold it together but we don't believe that that is why it's tough as hell. We believe it's the plastic. And as in the Mambo mullet you mentioned earlier, does not have a nylon weave. We found that we didn't need it in that type of lure.
0: And right. we'll talk about the Mambo in a second. And it's got a very unique kind of molded design uh, with those, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of it, the Aqua, the Hydro... Uh, the
1: reverse Hydro Cups.
0: The, right, the reverse Hydro Tech. We'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, that's sure. also another really cool design. Let's. Let's stick with the shrimp for now. Um, so we know that the voodoo shrimp is a very effective lure for all kinds of inshore and nearshore species, but you're marketing, you focus on voodoo shrimp for trout, redfish, and flounder. Why that specific focus and how you're marketing the shrimp when it has such a diverse use uh, uh, kind of frame for it?
1: Well, I'll explain exactly. It is targeted for reds, trout, and flounder. We know that that's what it's fishing. That's normally what you have for inshore. We know that it works great for tarpon and snook. We get that. Um, We have some of our larger size shrimp you can take to the short rigs and catch a multitude of fish. But we stand behind our product 100%. So if I advertise that it can catch ling, it can catch snook, it can catch tarpon and any other toothy creature out there and it breaks, then I have to replace it for you. So yes, we know that they're an excellent lure for that. But if we advertise just for the fish that we know it can sustain and continually catch lure after lure, fish after fish, then I, I'm not replacing hundreds of lures for fishermen that want to take it out in the blue water.
0: That's an interesting thing because that's very unique for a company. You all actually replace the voodoo shrimp should it be damaged, uh, in regular use for redfish, trout, and, uh, and flounder, correct?
1: That is correct. There's a lot of times that I know a tail was bitten off by a ladyfish, by a puffer. I know that because of the location of the angler, but they have a tail bitten off and they are not happy, and I replace it because I do want them to enjoy. I might gently suggest moving from where they where they continue to cast um, or suggest other options of how to fish it, but yeah, we stand behind it and we replace it.
0: That's pretty remarkable. There are not a lot of lure companies. In fact, I don't know of any other lure company that will replace the soft body just from say a short bite. Um, but I, I, that's fantastic. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I can't imagine fishing soft bodies anywhere where you're not perpetually at risk of a short bite from a toothier fish, like you said, a puffer, a ladyfish, a lizard fish. Uh, you know, even a, a, a mackerel. Uh, but that's fantastic. I don't know. Um, I really don't know of any other company that does that.
1: Well, let me explain the theory behind it is because if I graciously and courteously thank you for bringing that to our attention, and I happily replace it for you, I've won a customer for life. And he's going to tell his friends and his fellow anglers about our customer service, and I'm going to garner more orders. So it's a win-win for us.
0: That's fantastic because when you combine that with the the ability to catch upwards of 50 fish per lure, that adds longevity both to the lure and to the the customer loyalty. That That's just a great strategy. Yes, sir. Okay, so I know you've added a half dozen new color patterns to this line recently too. So let's talk a bit about colors. I recently watched the uh, virtual meeting held by Ladies Let's Go Fishing, and I've known Betty Bowman through the American Sport Fishing Association events like ICAST and various media events that we've attended, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for what she does with Ladies Let's Go Fishing. So I was watching a video recording of you giving a seminar about using voodoo lures, and you made some really informative comments about choosing colors when selecting lures. I was hoping you could share that information with the fishing professor or listening crew since color selection is important and because, like I said, you've added new colors to the Voodoo Shrimp line. So talk to us about color selection.
1: Okay. I am very not knowledgeable on this, but I know what works. So uh, if you ask me any further, I may not be able to help. I know that you use light colors in light water, dark colors in dark water, there are so many different kinds. There's a, a stained water. There's a, what we call a tea water. There's the clear. And, um, what I was explaining to one of the women, she didn't understand. And I never did either, but fish will use their sonar. And then the reds are, are more of a sensory and their scent. And it just, I just know that it works, Sid. And I, I can't explain any more than that. Um, I know a lot of times the chartreuse colors uh, with the tail shots, we have a lot that will have a chartreuse in it, um, is a big attractant. I also know uh, different geographic regions have different color patterns, which is why some of ours look so diverse. And we continue to look at a particular area and see what we can run just for the lower east coast or just for the gulf area what's going to look there because a shrimp in texas does not look like what they've got in north or south carolina and continue on
0: Uh, i'm glad you brought that up uh, because like we said you added six new colors to the voodoo shrimp palette as a company what triggers the decision to add new colors to the palette uh, particularly when you've got such a successful lure series What's the conversation that goes on on the inside that says, let's add new colors?
1: Well, we'll say there needs to be a new kid on the block. And this seems to be a new color that's happening. We pay very close attention to what other markets are adding new colors and what they seem to work. And we work with our staff a lot. We have a great group of pro staff. We also have guide staff. And we will ask them probably once or twice a year, What colors are you seeing that work that we don't offer? And we'll build off of that. Uh, That's where the uh, Bloody Mary and the Green Hornet came. We had a total of five, but those were really, really hard hitting and they were great. They were just colors that hadn't been addressed in the market with any other business or any other lure. And they were very, very successful for us. Um, You've got to have something new and innovative all the time. Every time, every year, you've got to be cranking something out that's new. Um, that's what catches the fishermen.
0: So colors trend then. So there's trending colors. Absolutely. All
1: oh, absolutely. Um, maybe five or six years ago, I could tell you the top five and they're, they're, they're changed now. You know, it used to be Brown and natural and magic and root beer. And now it's the golds, the clears and the clear glitters. Um, it ebbs and flows. It does change.
0: That's really interesting. So while we're talking about colors, I guess we should note that not only with the color addition to the voodoo shrimp, but you've also added four new colors to the baby shrimp lures. Um, And I will say that that two inch baby shrimp uh, lure are just absolutely fantastic when targeting fish that can't get onto the larger shrimp. For instance, I really like using the baby shrimp for catching mangrove snapper. Absolutely. So, let's you know we've been talking about some of the specifics of the the voodoo shrimp um we've talked about the tpe and we've talked about the mesh uh one of the things that i've noticed since voodoo shrimp became popular is there's also a trend in popularity um on social media sites like youtube to excuse me, to create videos on how to fish the voodoo shrimp. They're videos from big influencers like the folks at Salt Strong or Darcizzle Offshore, as well as a lot of other content providers. Why do you think these kinds of how-to videos are so popular for this really popular lure?
1: Well, in general, there's a lot more people fishing than there were post pandemic. Uh, People didn't have anything to do, but they knew they could go fishing there are a ton of people that want to go out and they're used to using live bait. And live bait may be hard to come by. It may be out of season. It may be hard to store. And they're moving to artificial and they're really not sure how to use it. And everybody goes to YouTube to find out how to do something. Um, and it's very, very beneficial. Very beneficial.
0: Absolutely. So let's let's shift for a second from the voodoo shrimp to the weedless shrimp. And one of the things about the weedless shrimp is it has a very unique wide tail design. Could you talk about the weedless shrimp and how it's designed to create a particular action in the water?
1: Absolutely. It is meant not to jump, but to glide, to glide down over grass or over the marshy area and just very, very gently, very slowly sink down and sink down and sink down. So we've gotten a lot of questions as to why it was designed differently, because as a weedless with a hook in a different location, it needs to be designed differently. And we've had great success with it and expanded colors with it as well.
0: So let's shift gears from the shrimp for a second. And as I said at the beginning of this conversation, we had an absolute blast making our review of the voodoo mullet. And we've really enjoyed fishing it, not just for the inshore target species like trout's red and flounder, but for cobia and tarpon as well. And I have to say some big jacks as well. And I know the peacock bass anglers have started having great success with the voodoo mullet too. So talk to us a little bit about the uniqueness of the voodoo mullet.
1: The voodoo mullet was the second thing that we introduced in the voodoo line. And it has its nylon weave in the tail creates a serpentine action when you cast it you don't have to know what you're doing with this lure it does it for you you cast and you retrieve it and it's 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 going to look just and actually the tail's kind of not just like a fish but kind of a snake serpentine and it is so popular in south florida i can't keep it in stock down there it is they don't just buy one or two they're buying six of multiple colors and multiple sizes, it is an excellent, excellent lure, um, and I know they're catching some big fish down there with it. And I wish that I could just bust out and say, "Hey, here's your next, yeah, here's your next tarpon, tarpon killer." But um, and we used to have it in a slow sink model, which uh, its rate of sink was about two feet, and it just didn't, it didn't do as well. And we had a five and a half inch version as well. And um, they just didn't make the turns like our smaller version. So if it's not broke, we're not going to fix it and just keep moving on.
0: So this is the lure, too, if I'm not mistaken, that you use a pad printing process for getting those realistic colors on the mullet. Could you talk a little bit about that coloring process?
1: Sure. We introduced that, um, for example, our our number one color is 113, which is a striped mullet. And pad printing, it's like a giant cotton ball or like a giant marshmallow, and it's got the pattern on it and it gently steps down onto the plastic and leaves the mark and goes on to the next one. And it's so realistic and so lifelike. Our Color 118 Pinfish looks just like a pinfish. It is is great. It is really great. Because you can't get that type of intricate pattern just in a mold, just in an
0: injection. Right, and that gives it both that lifelike movement and that lifelike visual. Now you've got two sensory perceptions that will attract fish rather than just one or the other. Yes, sir. Okay, so you mentioned that the voodoo mullet uh, is a great beginner's uh, lure because all you have to do is reel it in. You don't have to learn how to work it or anything. And there's another voodoo lure that I think of as a great beginner's lure as well, that has earned a reputation as a deadly speckled trout lure, and that's the mambo mullet. And this is another one of those really great beginner lures because it's just a cast and retrieve lure. You don't really need special know-how for working this lure. And the mambo mullet has a really unique design in that molded into the plastic body. There are these, what we talked about a moment ago, reversed hydro cups. Could you tell us about the mambo mullet and that unique reverse hydro cup design?
1: You bet. The Mambo is a kayaker's best friend. Um, it, it It is a fabulous little bait. So the reverse hydro cups, um, for anyone to give you a visual, on the tail, it looks like the letter V facing towards the head of the lure. And there's multiple, and then a slight paddle tail. So when they're pulling, when you're reeling it in through the water, The water is hitting the cup on the left, on the right, on the left, on the right, which kind of causes a vortex type of back and forth, back and forth, shimmy and shake. And then the tail gives it an extra kick. And that just that vibration is driving those fish to strike.
0: But I think I've heard you mention somewhere else, too, that you sell more of the mambo mullet in Florida than anywhere else in the U.S. Is that right? Uh, No, that is the
1: voodoo mullet. We sell more of the voodoo mullet. Uh, which is the serpentine we just spoke about in Florida than anywhere else. Yes, the mambo more on the Texas and Louisiana coast and in the Carolinas.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. I guess I just heard mullet and I attached it to mambo mullet. It can be
1: confusing. Yes, it can, it can.
0: Well, and you know, I'm easily confused. So uh, um, I also know that the voodoo shad has earned a lot of popularity among kayak anglers. And I've heard you talk about the voodoo shad being a very popular lure for striper anglers too. And this is a great lure for beginners also because it doesn't take a lot of effort or know how to work these lures, just cast and reel. So uh, tell us about uh, the Voodoo Shad.
1: The Voodoo Shad is our the, the most recent introduction. We actually came out with it in four sizes to replace the five and a half inch Voodoo Mullet that we had discontinued. It comes in a three inch, four inch, five inch and six inch. And we originally targeted East Coast striper fishing. We wanted to get it up into the East Coast market. Uh, They don't use shrimp. And we just were trying to break through with that five and six inch. But what we found was the three and four inch were very popular uh, in the southern states for the same fish. And recently we've discovered that it is awesome on an umbrella or an Alabama rig for freshwater trolling for stripers and it's shimmy and shakes as well it's got a nylon weave it's segmented it's made of the tpe and in the two smaller sizes the three and four inch it comes three per pack it's a really good value they're using the five and six for some of the fishing tournaments in the panhandle of florida and it's very economical for the price and really really good instead of live bait because when you're using you know, you get some of those heavy hitters up there and you've got live bait and they're eight or nine inches long. That, that's a lot of live bait that you've got to try and keep. And these just make sense. They're very easy. They come weighted. Um, and we're actually considering making a larger model that's a little bit heavier for fishermen that need to get it a little further down uh, in heavy currents.
0: No, I've seen several um, offshore anglers using them also when sight casting to cobia or mahi as well, uh, because they do just get right below the surface and get that wiggle action going. So we've been talking about the most popular of the voodoo lures, but I got to ask you too, um, when you go to the Egret Bates webpage now and it redirects to the voodoo soft bodies, the zombie RIP stick that you, you know, the voodoo rip stick, you know, they changed the name on that and RIP standing for rip it pause. Are the rip sticks still available?
1: They are not. Um, We kind of took a different direction in 2014. We had a ghost Walker, which was a, like a walk in the dog. It was a great. And we had the rip stick because we thought it would, they were awesome. And they were great baits, but we are voodoo. We do plastics. That's what we need to stay focused on. Um, Instead of bringing in other things that you can find somewhere else on the market, uh, let them do their job and we'll do our job. So we decided not to continue with anything that wasn't of a plastic or TPE nature and just continue our way that way. Not a lot of folks were happy. Um, And I hate it when we discontinue something. I do because I get attached to it during research and development. We get to help discover colors. We get to help name them. Sometimes I'm allowed to name them, um, which it's like having a child of your own and watching it grow and, and go out from one water body to another. But sadly, those will not be coming back for us. But I'm sure that you can find comparable, you know, other items that are out there that'll do the job that those used to.
0: My ripsticks are going to become collector's items is what you're telling me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably so.
0: Okay. So before we wrap up this great conversation, I have to ask you up, ask you the, the wrap up question that we ask all of our guests on the fishing professor show. And okay, we know that you grew up on an Oklahoma Lake and that down in Texas. Now you're fishing for crappie and bass, but the way we wrap up every show is to ask what's your grail fish? Jamie, what's the one fish that you really want to catch? That bucket list fish, that fish that's waiting for you out there.
1: (laughs) Um, I would love, my husband was the state black drum uh, record holder when he was a teenager. uh, And I would like to beat that. Uh, He's probably going to listen and think you don't know a thing about what you're talking about. And I don't, Um, I would like to go out in the blue water and I would like to catch a shark.
0: Okay. I think we can make that happen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I really would. I really would.
0: Any particular kind of shark or just a shark?
1: Just a shark. Just a shark. Uh, My daughter caught her first one last summer and it was just a little black tip and it was small, but it was so exciting. And I thought, you know, I, I I don't like the chumming that goes with it. I don't like the nausea. I don't like the going offshore for it, but I want to say I've done it. Uh, Maybe maybe a marlin i i don't i don't know i haven't really thought about it so you caught me off guard
0: yeah that's always that's always the plan you got to have some <laughs> off-guard question right? i got gotcha.
1: you i got gotcha. you um,
0: one of the things i wanted to add to our conversation too. uh well first of all i needed i wanted to also ask um, even though i just gave a wrap-up question is um are you shifting completely then to branding with voodoo and is egret bait gonna still have a, a branding position
1: um, Egret will always be known as our mother company. Um, we've got a great logo for that. We have other plastics that we bring out. Um, we've got a ton of stuff up our sleeves. We just kind of look and see where the trend in the market is. We've got a lot of molds that we could use and bring out other baits that may not necessarily be TPE. Um, so we will keep. We will keep egret, we will always have that. But voodoo, when you say voodoo, they know it's a TPE plastic and it's for inshore salt. We might dabble off into some freshwater. We might get back into the two inch wedge tail crappie lure that we used to have that was so popular. Um, It just depends. It'll depend on how the market goes and if we've got time to expand.
0: That's excellent. One of the things I would also say to folks listening um, is if you haven't seen the Voodoo logo, uh, it is a badass logo and it looks great on the Voodoo apparel. And I know that I'm going to be ordering one of those new Redfish Voodoo logo shirts soon. So um, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot on the show uh, and just have sort of a fascination with are the really excellent logos that are out there. And the, the Voodoo apparel logo is just just wonderful.
1: Thank you very much. And I love our Egret logo as well. My boss designed those. He's very, very creative when it comes to designs. Uh, even our wedge tail logo is really awesome as well. It looks like a fish and I like it. I like it. It catches your eyes and, and that's what we're all about.
0: Yep, absolutely. Catching eyes and catching fish. Catching right? fish,
1: yes. That's right.
0: <laughs> well, and I mean they have completely different feels too, right? The egret logo is very natural, very subdued, very relaxing. That feel of being out in nature. And that voodoo logo has got that Louisiana heritage to it with the skull shape and the pattern. You know that de- definitely different design feels, but really great logos. When you say your boss, you mean Ken? Yes. Ken Shomont. Yes, excellent. Yes. And uh, just for the note too, Ken does a lot of the lure designs as well.
1: Absolutely. He sure does start to finish. And I, uh, we made an agreement years ago because I've, I've worked with him for 18 years. Don't tell me anything until you're done with it and you're ready for me to set it up because I will get attached to an idea or a design. And then if it gets killed, I'm really depressed. So, you know, I so don't tell me anything anymore until it's time for me to set it up as an item and get it selling.
0: That's that's great. That just shows wonderful company dedication. You know, the one message I've always wanted to send Ken Shomont is that LSU is not a cover a color, um, but uh, we could use some gator colors too. So, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I will tell
1: him, (laughs) I will let him know. That's hilarious.
0: Well, thanks, Jamie, for being here today. We have been fortunate to hear from Jamie Burnett with Egret Baits & Voodoo Lures, one of the premier lure manufacturers for inshore fishing. What a great conversation. Thank you so much, Jamie.
1: My pleasure, Sid. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Yes, indeed, it is time for the bourbon break. That moment in the broadcast that we set aside the tackle and cast our thoughts to that other fine thing in life, bourbon. In this segment of the bourbon break, I'll be offering my thoughts about AH Hirsch Reserve. Ha, are you kidding me? Do you have any idea of how freaking expensive AH Hirsch Reserve is? This 16 year old reserve is about seven grand a bottle, and the 20 is about 10 grand. Do you think I can afford that kind of bourbon? No way. That stuff will never pass my lips because I can't afford it. That's like the second most expensive whiskey out there. That is for the whiskey gentry. Hell, Charles Crowdy, the guy who has written several books about bourbon, has called it the best bourbon you'll never taste. And I know I probably won't have the opportunity to taste it either. So if you got all excited that I was going to finally throw my bourbon prowess at the monsters of bourbon, at the slobber knockers, forget it. I'm in the pond, brothers and sisters, not out at the Chateau des Rich, folks. So seriously, today's bourbon break, we'll look at something more realistic and much more in my wheelhouse. Let's give some pause and attention to that classic bottle, Maker's Mark. Yeah, I know. What the hell is the point of reviewing a bourbon that everyone and their mother gave you as a gift last year? It's been done, and we all know Makers, Mark, right? Well, that seems to me to be the exact reason to really look at this friend of the family. Makers is good stuff, and it's got a great reputation, but let's think about why that is. So we know that Maker's Mark is a small batch bourbon that is made in Loretto, Kentucky by Beam Suntory, which is an American company, but it's a subsidiary of Suntory Holdings, one of the oldest alcohol distributors in Japan, dating back to 1899, and Beam Suntory is the third largest alcohol producer in the world. James Beam started selling his whiskey back in 1795, and in 1935, his family established the James B. Beam Distilling Company. In 1945, a Chicago alcohol dealer named Harry Bloom bought the company, and in 1968, he sold it to American brands. Though a bunch of other corporate sales since 1987 have taken place, the company has changed hands several times, been renamed a few times, and ended up where we are today with Beam Centauri. Now, Maker's Mark began when T. William Bill Samuels Sr. purchased the Burks Distillery in Loretto, Kentucky for thirty-five grand on October 1st, 1953. Isn't it amazing what you can learn on Google? He began distilling his bourbon in 1954, and the first run was bottled in 1958. And so you know, Burke's Distillery earned a spot on the National Registry of Historic Places in 1974. It was the first distillery in the U.S. to be be identified as a historic landmark. Now, there's a lot more to the maker's story, but I'm not going to get into all of it here so that we can actually focus on the bourbon itself. Did you know or do you remember that back in the 1960s and 70s, Maker's Mark was marketed with the motto, taste expensive, and it is, is, maker's Mark is unusual in its approach to bourbon, in that there is no rye in the Maker's Mash Bill. The Mash Bill is identified that the Maker's uses red winter wheat instead of rye at 16%. The corn count is at 70%, and the that's all rounded out with a 14% malted barley. So it's an interesting Mash Bill. And what's really interesting about how Makers ended up at this mash bill is that the story goes that when Sanders was planning how to make Makers Mart, he supposedly developed seven different mash bills for a new bourbon. But since he couldn't distill seven different mixes, wait for them to age, and then test them to see which was best, he made a loaf of bread from each grain mix And then, instead, he decided which of the bread was best tasting, and he decided the one with no rye tasted the best. So he went with that mash bill. The story also says that Samuel's also got a lot of assistance and advice, not to mention recipe ideas, from Steitzel Weller, who owned Pappy Van Winkle, and who also made the weeded old Fitzgerald and W.L. Weller bourbons. So we can assume that some of the advice that Stetzel Well gave Samuels had to do with the excellence of wheat-heavy bourbons. Now, Makers is aged for about six years, and the way that they decide if it's ready or not is that they bottle it and sell it only when the company's tasters agree that it's ready for the market. It's identified as a small batch because it's produced in fewer than 19 barrels or 1,000 gallons for each batch. Maker's is a 90-proof bourbon, and it has that distinct squarish bottle and the unique iconic red wax seal on the top. If that red bottle topper doesn't catch you eye, the dark tea-colored liquor will. This is one of those bourbons that really has a fetching eye. In fact, I think that Makers has a lot in common with tea. Real sweet tea aficionados will tell you that you shouldn't be able to see a gla- through the glass of sweet tea, but mostly you can see the light passing through, creating rays of honey gold in the tea. That's the same thing that happens with Makers. In fact, the nose of Makers also reminds me a lot of sweet tea too, with hints of vanilla, lemon, orange, and yeah, tea. The nose of makers is an experience of sweetness, but not overpowering sweetness. It is not sweet tea. It's mellow and pleasant and alludes to a shift from sweet to wood scents, but you may need to tug those scents out. The taste maintains that sense but the sweetness isn't as abundant in the palate as it is in the nose. You still get the vanilla and the sweetness, but the oak steps up a bit, balancing out the taste, almost like an oaken sweet tea. It's really pleasant on the palate, and one can see why Maker's is so popular. It's just a good, mellow, well-developed bourbon. There's nothing blasting out here in the flavor, but I will say that the finish doesn't just subside and fade away. Rather, that back end reminds you that there is alcohol here, and you get kind of an alcohol-infused fruit taste at the finish, which I find very pleasant. I keep using that word pleasant to describe Maker's Mark because that's what it is. There's nothing here to dislike, but at the same time, there's nothing here that makes you want to just jump up and sit up as an exquisite bourbon. Like I said, it's a bourbon that you're really likely to get as a gift because it's hard to go wrong with. You're not going to offend someone with maker's Mark at either end of the it's too much of a bourbon for me or it's too thin of a bourbon for me spectrum. It's right there in the middle of Main Street, not looking to cause a stir. And if you're a University of Kentucky fan, which I am not, go Gators. Makers has all kinds of University of Kentucky limited release bottles like the Rick Pitino signed 1996 NC2A basketball championship bottles and other coach bottles celebrating University of Kentucky basketball championships including two Calipari series bottles. There are also some University of Louisville bottles out there honoring Charlie Strong and Rick Pitino. And like the bouncing souls see saying here we are after dark knocking back the maker's mark so yeah those are my thoughts on maker's mark but before we put the bottle down and pick the rod back up and as a final note and my regular disclaimer as always please keep in mind that the fishing professor bourbon breaks are not sponsored the distillers have not sent me samples nor do they influence my reviews at all though I'm always open to sponsorship, bribery, extortion, and you buying me a couple of rounds, particularly the kind folks there over at Hodling & Company. If you want to send me some sample bottles of that age, Hirsch Reserve I mentioned at the beginning of this, feel free. I'd take that. The bourbons I review are purchased out of pocket, hence not having a review of the Hirsch Reserve. And my reviews are based on my keen sense of bourbon know-how developed over many years in many of the country's finest watering holes, drinking establishments, dives, pubs, honky tonks, and back alley speakeasies. Hey, and speaking of, let me wrap this up with a shout shout out to Acme Oyster House in New Orleans, Louisiana, where I could and have sat all day slurping those fine oysters and drinking that good old bourbon right there on Iberville Street, less than a block off Bourbon Street with that Zydeco singing in my ears. So here's to the holidays, all 365 of them. As always, if you got comments about this week's bourbon break, feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. Pour me another one and let's talk fishing. All right, right, let's, uh, let's move on to a top 10 list. Let's move on to the Fishing Professor's top 10 list. And this week, I'm going to count down my favorite spinnerbaits and buzz baits for redfish. Now, of course, baits really make their name in bass fishing, but redfish anglers began to catch on to the versatility and prowess of the spinnerbait for redfish about a decade or so ago. There are a lot of variations on the traditional bass spinnerbait when redesigned for redfish, most of which integrate some form of a lure body and a spinner blade. So in my list, you're going to find an array of approaches to redfish hybrid spinner baits, but they all contain the core elements of a spinner bait and all are great for fishing for reds. Now, one of the great things about redfish spinner baits is that they are all great lures for DIYers to make their own and to fine tune them in terms of blade type, body type, wire gauge, and weight. These are also great lures for smaller regional lure makers to make. So there's a bunch of great redfish spinnerbait designs out there that I see online from time to time, but I just haven't fished with them because they're not readily available. For example, I've seen Delta lures out of Laplace, Louisiana. These look like some great redfish spinning lures, and their redfish thunder jig looks great too, as does Hall's HD spinnerbaits, which which I see available via Facebook. You can find some great redfish spinnerbaits on distributors like Pinterest, Amazon, and Facebook, and other online marketplaces, but they may not be as visible nationally in stores or on uh, big distributors like Walmart or uh, Bass Pro. Relevant, too, is the fact that despite spinnerbaits and spinnerbait hybrids being such effective redfish lures, Only a handful of the larger manufacturers make and distribute redfish spinnerbaits. And really, when it comes down to it, as I think about this top 10 list, I don't think I can count more than maybe 10 redfish spinnerbaits that I actually fish with. So I'm going to cheat a little bit this week, and I'm going to give over that number 10 spot to all of those small companies, all those regional lure makers that are turning out great spinnerbaits for redfish. And of course, if any of you out there are one of those local manufacturers that want me to give your redfish spinnerbaits a try, just give me a shout at sid at inventivefishing.com. That said, though, there are nine other spinnerbaits that I have found to be very successful when fishing for reds. And as always, keep in mind that the Fishing Professor Rodcast is not, or not yet, sponsored by any company, so none of the lures listed here are here because of sponsorship, they are here because these are the lures that I use and love. And so enough disclaimers, let's get to the rest of the list. At number nine, I'm going to go with TTI Blake Moore's Roadrunners. These are Roadrunner jig heads that come pre-rigged with a spinner blade. You can buy them three ways, either rigged, and they have a variety of bodies ranging from small grub tails to feathers and marabou. A lot of these are pre-rigged for freshwater fishing. You can also get the Roadrunner kits, which are just the Roadrunner heads with some plastic bodies, or you can just get the heads and add your own bodies, which is what I like to do. I especially like the uh, Roadrunner heads that come pre-rigged with Roadrunner's brass willow blade. These brass blades are more akin to the traditional gold spoon and the gold coloration that is so deadly for reds. I like rigging these heads with shad bodies. I actually keep a handful of the TTI Roadrunner heads in my jig head box, Because when I'm fishing for reds, I want that bladed head option. All right, that brings us to the number eight, spot. And you got to love spots when it comes to redfish. And so at number eight, I've got H&H Lure Company's Cocoho Minnow Jig Spin. This is a fundamental spinnerbait design with a quarter ounce jig head, a soft plastic body, and a gold spinner blade wired to the jig head like a traditional bass spinnerbait. It comes in 15 color options. But really, just by switching out the soft body or the jig head, you can create just about any color combination you want. At number seven, let's go with Aqua Dreams Cajun Cajun Slam. I love this C.A. Richardson-inspired lure. It's a lure that was designed to take the benefits of a bass spinnerbait and make it rigged and rugged and strong enough for the punishment of a redfish strike and strength. One of the things I really like about the Cajun Slam is that the jig head is affixed to the blade with a strong wire that unsnaps like a swivel snap, letting you replace the head easily, allowing you to increase weight, shift color, or jig head type if you move away from the supplied head. I also like that you can get them rigged with Colorado-style blades, Willow-style blades, or mag blades. At number six, I'm going with Z-Man's Diesel Chatterbait. Now, the chatterbait comes in a couple of models, but it's the original version and if fishing in heavy cover, the weedless version that I use the most. I like this sort of hybrid spinnerbait because it it combines a jig head with a great silicone skirt and a forward-mounted flat blade that vibrates and sways in its swimming action. It doesn't spin like a spinnerbait per se, but it uses the blade in a unique design that really works well in combination with that skirted jig head. Okay, at number five, I'm going to go with a derivative lure that hints at a lure I'll get to in a minute. So at number five, I've got Strike King Speckled Trout Magic. And yes, the name says it's designed for speckled trout, but it's just as deadly on reds as it is on specs. This smartly designed spinnerbait mounts the spinner blade onto a lead jig head by way of a barrel swivel. It comes pre-rigged with a soft body plastic. The only drawback, and it's a ridiculously minor one, I don't even know why I'm pointing this out, is that the blades are silver, and if we could get it in brass and gold blade, this would just amp up its redfish catching ability. Nonetheless, it is a phenomenal redfish lure with the silver blade, and you can pick up the color attraction by simply picking out or switching the soft body for the colors you most prefer for reds. At number four, I've got the Strike Kings Spot Tail Special. It's a great take on the buzzbait, which is another kind of wire bait that uses a spinning propeller like blade to create agitation and reflection. The Spottail Special places a gold colored triangle blade in front of a soft body rig on a weighted wide gap hook. It's a great lure to use as a kind of redfish search bait when you're looking for fish, but it's also deadly as sight casting as well. At number three, we'll stay on a Strike King, Strike King roll and give Strike King the hat trick with its third recognition in this week's top 10. And we'll pay homage to a classic redfish lure that has earned its seat on the dais of all redfish lures, the Strike King Redfish Magic, an icon in redfish spinnerbaits. The Redfish Magic are rigged with heavy gauge wire and a 24 karat plated Colorado blade. The jig head on this lure has great 3D eyes and is pre-rigged with a durable plastic glass minnow body. One of the one of the one of the real standout features, I think, of uh, the Redfish Magic, though, is the oversized saltwater hook that Strike King uses in making these lures. It's a really reliable and strong hook, hands down. This is a redfish spinner bait at the pinnacle of redfish spinner baits. At number two, however, I'm gonna have to move away from the Strike King run and move on to the top 10 and give you the runner-up in this week's top 10, and that's Saltwater Assassin's Red Daddy Spinner. The Red Daddy Spinner is an amped-up version of a Bass Assassin's Classic Jig Spinner. Now, the Red Daddy Spinner comes rigged with a gold jig head affixed to a red bleeding baitfish hook and a gold Colorado Spinner Blade. It comes pre-rigged with a Saltwater Assassin's Sea Shad and is available in 11 different soft-body color combinations. I'm a real big fan of the candy corn, the goldfish, and the space guppy color configuration for reds. The Red Daddy Spinner is a redfish spinner bait that just exudes angler confidence, and what they do over at Saltwater Assassin is just fantastic. Shout out to Robin and everything that's going on with Saltwater Assassin. All right, that brings us to my favorite spinner bait for redfish, but before we give it up, let's get a quick recap. At number 10, I'm giving homage to all of those regional, local, and small lure manufacturers who are making uh, spinnerbaits for redfish. At number 9, we've got TTI Roadrunner Heads. At number 8, H&H Minnow Spinner Jig. At 7, Aqua Dreams Cajun Slam. At 6, Z-Man's Diesel Chatterbait. At 5, we start the Strike King Run. At 5, Strike King Speckled Trout Magic. At 4, Strike King Spot Tail Magic at 3 Strike King Redfish Magic and then at number 2 in the runner up position the saltwater assassin red daddy spinner. And so my numero uno number 1 favorite spinner bait for redfish fa- is an interesting hybrid that has become one of my favorite redfish lures and yes I've reviewed it so you can check out my full review over at invenfishing.com or on the invenfishing YouTube channel and I am talking about Hyperlastics dart spin. Now, the dart spin takes a different, a very different approach to the spinnerbait design, and the innovation should be expected when you realize that this is another great lure design by one of the premier lure designers of of our time, and that's Patrick Sebel. This innovative design adds the spinner blade behind the soft body, affixed to the soft body with a screw-in swivel and a willow blade. You can get them with silver, chartreuse, red, or gold blades, or redfish. Yes, I stick with the gold blades. They come in three and a half, four and a half, five and a half, and seven inch versions. They also come in rigged options, either uh, uh, in multiple rigging options, either unrigged or the Dartspin Pro option, which includes rigged with a round jig head, or you can get it rigged with a weighted weedless wide gap hook. It's this weighted hook version that I've been using mostly because the hook tucks into the gap in the lure soft body to create a weedless lure. I've been reliant on the five and a half inch model for reds, particularly in the bunker and the white ghost color pattern for reds. I've also been getting great action with Snook on the see-through greenback pattern as well. All in all, the hyperelastic dart spin has become one of my favorite and most relied, uh, relied upon all around inshore lures, but it has really risen to the top of my redfish spinnerbait preferences. So that's that. Those are my top 10 or top nine, plus a little homage to all of our local lure designers around the country. But those are the top 10 spinnerbaits for redfish. You don't like my list or you do love the list? Feel free to let me know at sid.inventiffishing.com or on the comment section of any of the platforms on which you might be listening to the rodcast. And as always, if you're a lure manufacturer and you think I've overlooked your product, just shoot me an email and tell me what I need to look at. And as always, if you'd like a fishing professor's top 10 about a particular fishing related thing, just send me an email and I'll see about adding it to my list for future top 10s. All right, let's get back to it. wow, I can't believe we're putting another episode to bed. I am so grateful to Jamie Burnett for taking the time to talk with us about the great lures Egret Bates is turning out and to offer her great tips for deploying the Egret Bait lures in a variety of fishing scenarios. I know I've learned a ton today. Be sure to check out all of the offerings from Egret Bates and the entire line of voodoo lures at egretbaits.com or wherever you shop for tackle. Uh, now, before I sign off today, I do have a message for our brothers and sisters out there behind the line. The gaff is sharp. I say again, the gaff is sharp. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We've got a great new episode coming up next week, and I hope you'll give a listen when it drops. Remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday, so help pick them up. As always, please be sure to share the Fishing Professor Rodcast with everyone you know. Spread the joy. And of course, if you have a comment or question about anything on this week's show or have recommendations for future top 10s, bourbon breaks interviews, or information about specific fishing-related issues, please feel free to email me at sid at or leave a reply in any of the comment sections for any of the podcast platforms you listen to the Rodcast on. Hey, be sure to check out the Inventive Fishing webpages and be sure to follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook at Inventive Fishing. I'll be back next week, as always, with another episode. Until then, this is Sid Dobrin, the Fishing Professor. Fish on!
1: The Fishing Professor Show is copyrighted by Inventive Fishing, LLC. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the consent from Inventive Fishing LLC is strictly prohibited. Fish on!